This is the Acts 2028 podcast, where two young Church of God pastors discuss the challenges and victories we face in leading revitalization. I am TJ Samuel. I am Brian Seidel. I am in an urban context in Seattle, Washington. I am in a suburban and rural context in Boise, Idaho. I am in a liberal state. I am in a conservative state. My ministry background is in missions. My ministry background is in youth ministry. And yet we are both in our first lead roles. Help God revitalize the existing church in the Pacific Northwest. We are helping each other. And you. To truly live out Acts 20, 28. Here we are back again for our part two uh, episode of our interview with Pastor Alan Cheney. And so again, if you didn't get the first part of it, I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode as we kind of, we kind of talked about kind of our backstories, how we know each other and how all of our, our three different stories and journeys have intertwined throughout the years. But uh, now here we are again, back in that. And, and we told you in the last episode that we would kind of tell you how everything went with Reedsport. And we kind of talked about some of those keys to you know, to, to your experience at Reesport and how we've kind of seen some of those same concepts play out at Fairview and at Oregon Trail and just, you know, and at Cloverdale um, at, at, at these different churches. But again, just kind of summarize, right, just the power of just being real, right, being human with people, you know, I mean, and actually living in community, applying God's word to our life in a daily way, uh, whether it's something super practical, just remembering somebody's name, right, like, you know, actually shaking hands or, you know, thanking them for coming to church, um, you know, or just, just doing life with them. And I think that's where we see, again, whether you're in a large church or a small church, like that doesn't change. I mean, the human condition is still hungry for community, right? Hungry for the truth of who God is and how he wants to transform our lives. So, so that's kind of where we left off. Just a quick summary of our last episode. Um, but I, I guess now as we do jump into that to say, um, Alan, if you could just tell us, you know, again, we kind of left off where you were in Reedsport, you kind of started in that. So kind of how, what did it look like now, once you were in Reedsport, you knew that kind of your demographic from the church told you going in that their demographic right. was they wanted to reach young families. Right. right? And so you, you, you took your two kids and your wife and you guys showed up there as a young pastor in your first lead role. Um, and then you just kind of started doing some of these practical things, you know, coming through that. So, um, so to say, and then, as you said, you were there 16 years, I think is what you told us, right? Yep. So 16 and a half. Yeah. 16 and a half. So, so how, like, I guess to say, let's just fast forward and just say that just where, where did you, where was Reedsport when you left? Like what, what, what was the, 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 I guess, how successful was it oh. in those 16 and a half years? Well, I'll, I'll just quickly go back since we didn't mention any of this in the first episode, I'll just go back and quickly say um, that when, when we moved there, um, my oldest son was four and my youngest was one. Um, so we were, we were uprooting a young family. Uh, going to a much smaller community, uh, Reedsport, the city of Reedsport probably has a population of about 4,500 people. Um, but as I did my research on the area, I would say that within a reasonable driving distance, um, we were probably ministering to about 10,000 people. That was our community. And so for a lot of churches, that's a pretty small um, group of people uh, to, to be ministering to, in a sense. Um, but yet, Lots and lots of people who need the Lord. I mean, even though there was there was literally 23 churches in the Reedsport area when we moved there, um, but they were all relatively small, including the Church of God. There was probably about uh, 60 
folks showing up on an average Sunday morning in 2004 when we got there. Um, I was told that it was fewer than that um, about the six months prior to that, but they had gained some momentum right before I got there because a former pastor of their church had come back as their interim. And so he had known the people. So he was actually, that was a huge blessing. So he was actually able to, for about six months, start reconnecting with people um, who had been a part of the church years before. And so it had already started, you know, helping the church grow from probably about 40 to 60. Um, so we're running about 60 people. Um, and we just, we just dove into being servants wherever um, we were fortunate that we decided my wife was going to stay home with the boys um, for several years while they were, you know, not in school yet. And so it gave her the opportunity to dive into volunteering at different places where the kids were. Um, so she was going to the swimming pool, uh, for swimming lessons. You know, she was just showing up. Um, uh, well, I, I jumped in TJ last episode, you mentioned coaching as kind of a term for what we do. Well, I literally did it in Reedsport. Um, I had coached here in Idaho before we left. And then once we had children, I had committed that I was not going to coach my kids in anything because they did not need their dad. Uh, coaching them in, but then we moved to a small community where they were desperate for coaches. And so I just wound up, I wound up coaching. Um, so it was just that we dove in being servants wherever we saw an opportunity, whether it was in the church or in the community. And, and cause I don't, I don't think we should see that any differently. You know, if we're expecting people just to show up to our churches because the doors are open Sunday morning at nine 30 and 11, that's not being a servant. Um, we need to get out into the community. And so we just kind of started um, modeling that servant's heart and the, that heart that I had heard in the interview process was clearly there because I mean, everybody, the, the folks that were there, they just jumped on board. I mean, they just started, we all started doing the same thing. We started finding all kinds of ways that we could serve the community and then it just started building. So within about a year of us being there, we went to two services. Um, and so we ran that for about five years. Um, keep in mind, small community, small churches. Um, so I think our sanctuary sat about, oh, maybe about 120 people if it was just maxed out when I got there. And so um, we were getting, you know, within that first year, we were getting too crowded. We were running about 100 to 120, so we immediately went to a second service. Um, we ran those two services for about probably four to five years, and then the same thing was happening. We were getting too crowded in the 9.30 service primarily, um, and so then we started an 8 o'clock service. And so we then had an 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock service just so that we could comfortably, you know, see everybody and expect visitors. We wanted there to be room. We didn't want it to be crowded. And so we did that intentionally um, so that there would be a place for people to come in and comfortably be a part of the service so that they would be free of as many distractions as they possibly could so that they could hear the message. Um, and so um, it, was, it was an amazing time watching the Lord work. Um, we bought properties uh, around the church so that we could expand the church. We actually uh, blew out the front wall of the existing church and added several feet so that we could add more rows. We did that more recently, kind of as a transition step to grow the church even larger so that then we could be more prepared to actually build on 
an ad. And so uh, actually that's, that's kind of where, where we then moved back to Cloverdale was we, we had purchased all the property we needed for our plan to build. We had done everything we could to our existing building. Um, we were debt free from all the purchases of property. Um, and then uh, the process of, of talking with Pastor Tom and, and Cloverdale and then returning here um, was kind of, of was what has now happened um, after the 16 years of ministry there in Reedsport. So when you got there, obviously in a church of 60, we've also talked about different things. You know, we talked a little bit about uh, retreat and things like that when you do lesson planning. What was it kind of like from a staffing standpoint? Were you the sole pastor at that point? And then what was the kind of tipping point? Some of those things people have questions as far as when do we add or maybe subsequently, what are the roles of maybe a lot of those years you helped rely on your council or your board or whatever structure you have to help engage, to help your bandwidth and networking. And so right. what did that kind of look like in a, in a transitional phase as you went through those stages? Yeah, well, at first, as you're alluding to, it was just me. You know, the church had dwindled to a size that they couldn't afford um, more than one pastor. Um, and so I, I engaged with the youth group. I, I helped wherever I could with children's ministry. When it was time for Vacation Bible School, I was a main part of Vacation Bible School. Um, so yes, at first, it was just that diving in and helping anywhere and everywhere because I was, you know, the only pastor. Uh, now, thankfully, like I said, though, um, it was a small group of people, but a huge heart, just a huge heart. And so whenever we were talking about doing a Vacation Bible School or whatever we were doing for the community, um, I always had lots of people who were willing to jump in as long as the structure was there. That's all they needed. They were just looking for somebody to lead them. And, and once they had somebody that was willing to jump in and roll up their sleeves and do it with them, man, they were right there. So I think that's a key, you know, to, to be uh, the lead pastor of a church. I don't care if it's 40 people or 4,000. Um, you need to lead by example and people will follow. But if you're you're doing your own thing and they don't see you engaging, uh, that's going to probably make it more difficult. Um, and so that's what I did at first. But thankfully, um, because then the church grow, the church began to grow um, rather quickly. And that church had had, again, their first answer to me when I said, why do you want a young pastor? Is they said, we want to reach the young families in town. Well, that I didn't know at the time. But they were just mimicking what they had done for years in the past. And that was they had a long history of having a youth pastor. They, they had long felt very strongly about ministering to the teenagers in the community. Because, again, I didn't know at the time, but no other church was really doing that. And so they were already prepared that as soon as we had the finances to be able to do that, that we would be hiring a youth pastor. And so that's exactly what we did is we as soon as we felt we could afford that. Um, we hired that youth pastor, and then um, he was able to, you know, continue to help us grow. That's great. And it's kind of a, a pause point there that, as we talked about a little bit of our backgrounds and coming in, um, that's just one of those ways that you were so equipped, right, already. Like, youth pastoring was in your DNA. You'd done it for so long, and so there was an element of that that you could just 
the equipping and empowering, there was this affirming piece probably within that ministry that you're like, okay, God, like I totally get this. And even if there's a spot where um, my new guy coming in doesn't quite understand this, uh, mm-hmm. I understand the culture and I understand how to meet people at that point of need to some degree. And so it's like, we can help make this fluid and be successful. I know that that's even resonated as we're here. Seattle's kind of like a hub as far as flying out of and stuff like that, uh, much more so than Boise. I, it felt like when I was flying out of Boise, I had to go somewhere before I went somewhere kind of deal. But, <laughs> yeah. but like with that being said, there there was some of that connectivity. And so for me, again, missions being a part that I was passionate about or roles that I had, um, missions becomes one of those easier ones for me in a gateway. And so like we had children of promise here um, two weeks ago, we have our missionaries to Italy and we become a hub because we're easy and accessible here for people to fly into. Um, And so like, I totally, when I hear that, I think whatever that is or wherever someone that's maybe listening or where they've been equipped, uh, God's word works together, right? So there's that part. I mean, we all know Romans 8, 28, but like also at the same time, just like those uniquenesses that are in our uh, testimony that Mm -hmm. like there's those moments in ministry where you find that you're like, oh, okay, that's why I did that. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, like part of us, as we've all had that role there, you kind of had a, at Cloverdale, a facilities piece or, or maintenance piece that you also had to take on. Well, I came to a building that, that where my office is right here where I'm sitting. This building was built in 1906 <laughs> and, and the new addition yeah. of this building's on that side and it was built in the twenties. So like when you look at things and, and it's not just in vain of like, Oh, we had these things. Um, yeah. Now we have a, a facility. It's over 45,000 square feet. So where much is given much is required. And so you have to use those things. And so I reflect back when I hear those things from you as well, like, those are some of the things. So hopefully that's an encouragement for someone that's like, I've only done these things. Well, look, God's going to use that (laughs) (laughs) or he's going to equip you in a way and bring people alongside of you to help meet those needs. And so um, that's really great because what you just described was a healthy church that Mm -hmm. was saying, Hey, look, we understand these needs. We understand the buy-in and we want to reach a group. And so like, I think they were saying, and maybe I'm putting my words on this so you can correct it, but like we see uh, God's people needing to be met and we see a body and we see a bunch of arms out there, but we need some feet to give it legs. And so we want to be the feet to this kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, and so mm-hmm. we don't want to just fit the mold to just fit it. We see a need and we want to respond in the grace in the way that which we see Jesus. And yeah. so that's really cool. I like that because sometimes, again, as you said, Sometimes they fall into circumstances where you're coming in and there's a lot of pressure for a new pastor and a revitalization to say, oh, you got to save this or else, yeah. you know, it's going to cease yeah. to exist. And so you, yeah. you touched on a, a intern pastor that was already there. For me, that was the same case that was here. I came in and um, Bob Christensen, who had been a pastor in this region, he was a right. pastor when they were at... Uh, woodland park before they moved to this facility in the 80s and Mm -hmm. so there was some of those things that kind of helped that connectivity so that's really cool so again if you're listening to this and you've had some people uh connecting with those people when you reach the ground if if god's calling you man, make those connections we talked about in the pastoral role but what are those legacy people that have really laid some framework that have that collateral 
change in the pocket, so to speak, to say, hey, how can um, I reach these people? And would you help me in this endeavor to press forward? And that is, I feel like God is leading us into this new season. That's always a valuable uh, takeaway. Absolutely. Yeah. And you mentioned something um, just then, TJ, that reminded me of another key, I think, that would be helpful to um, you know, churches, existing churches, like you're saying, um, that may need to go through a period of revitalization is just facilities. You mentioned your facility. Um, one of the things that we immediately did was our facility was open to just about anybody that wanted to use it in the community. We just, yeah, if the Boy Scouts needed a place to meet, yep, yep, we, you've got a room. We, we have a room for you. You know, if Alcoholics Anonymous needed a room um, in the community to meet, we let Alcoholics Anonymous meet at our church. Um, and sadly, I think there's an awful lot of churches that they'd love to revitalize, but they're not willing to do those things. Well, but somebody's got to come open and close the building. Yeah, yeah. So go open and close the building, because I tell you what, some of those folks, um, especially like say AA groups and stuff like that, you want to talk about rewarding relationships six months down the road, 18 months down, five years down the road, is when you serve then that way and they come to Jesus. And I mean, oh, I'm getting goosebumps right now just thinking about some of those things that God does when we were just simply willing to, you know, leave our couch after we had dinner at six o'clock to go open the church up at seven o'clock so that then the AA group could meet until eight that we would then have to come back and close the church up at 8.30. I mean, just amazing relationships out of just, again, uh, uh, an attitude of being a servant and um, being willing to use what you have. Um, and, and I'll also mention at this point, as we use the word revitalization, um, I think probably the most valuable book that I have read that uh, absolutely targets what your podcast is about and that is revitalizing existing churches as opposed to planting churches. And you guys have probably heard of it, but it's the, it's the book Break Through Church by Tom Rainer. Uh, that book is absolutely amazing because they did a research. I'll just quickly give you the premise. They did a research project years ago on, um, they wanted to find churches in America that had plateaued or had declined. And then had seen just amazing revitalization, but without change of leadership. They wanted to see if there were some common denominators behind what leaders did in their churches without, like I said, changing the pastor. And they um, found 13 churches across America that had seen this plateaued or declining um, attendance and then had seen this turnaround. And so they dove in and looked at these 13 churches. And so most of the book is sharing what they learned um, in that process of what these 13 churches had in common. And it, the, the results of that study that's in the, in the book Breakout Church, I think would be incredibly valuable for any pastor um, looking to you know, be, be in this situation, wanting to revitalize the church. Um, it's, it's an excellent, excellent book. You know, just a piggyback on that, I will say pretty much almost anything by Tom Rainer you should be reading. <laughs> um, 
there, to say that, I, I, yeah, I mean, there's, there's several books out there. Like, li- I mean, literally I'm just, we're just finishing it again. I think again, I've been at Oregon trail almost seven years. Like this is the third time I've taken my staff through the book, simple church by Tom oh, Rainer. Right. Um, right. And well, I, and the main reason why we keep going through it is because I keep getting different staff, right? Like, and they, uh-huh. you know, ones that haven't gone through it, but, yeah. um, but again, but to do, there's an, I, I know it, talking about revitalization, you know, there's, again, there's another one of his books, um, called the, um, the autopsy of a, oh, of a deceased church, church yeah, right. Which yeah. that, again, that, that one is, is looking at churches that didn't revitalize, right. That actually closed and like why right. they closed. And right. again, what those, again, same kind of premise of the breakthrough ones, but it's just ones that were closed and they found those, yeah. you know, the kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I'll tell you just a really core Rainer book that I've, that's been huge for us at Oregon trail, I mean, it's just a one of the little book. I mean, some of his books are super long, super simple church is super long and actually kind of boring, but it, it, um, <laughs> but be, uh, because of all the research in it is kind of boring, but again, it's the application, right. It's just, we talked yeah. about in the first episode, right. It's like, he doesn't just tell you this problem. He actually talks about how to fix it. Right. So, um, again, which is great, but there, um, there's just this little book that we use in one of our journey classes, um, about the church and it's called, I am a church member. Yeah. Um, and like yeah. that, I'd say that one has been just very key, you know, to helping people deal with their church hurt and deal with their, you know, their kind of the baggage that they bring into just to church and, and, you know, and, and finding, finding healing, you know, and a lot of that. And so, uh, so anyway, again, if you're a pastor out there, if you, if you have never heard of Tom Rainer, like you need to, right. And, um, yeah, I could just him with church answers and, and Lifeway and just, the, you know, I, I don't even, whatever they call their thing. Now, I mean, they kind of change their name, like every, every I, couple I of years. Still, I think his main um, website and everything is still church answers. Yeah. So yeah, there, there, that's the oh, one. There right? that's, I'm a church member. Book, so absolutely. <laughs> there's that uh, one. So, yeah. If you guys haven't, there's like you said, there's a ton of resources. There's even a post quarantine one that's now there. <laughs> yeah. Boring long one. Yeah, there's, Brian there you go. <laughs> millennials. We can keep going, but you know, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's tons of resources out there and that's part of what this community is about, right? Like not only connecting with one another, but what have we used? How have we been equipped? This one aptly has like a Swiss army knife. So how, how do we, how do we look at those different things? And, and Alan touched on this is what do we have? And one of the imagery things I like to know is um, you kind of said this, even in having read books of the first year, but even now in an application piece is like, what's on the table? What do we have in our toolbox that we can actually use to solve this? Yeah. And, and then we can work from there. Like if you can put everything out on the table and say, here's what we have. Can we make this work or what pieces are we missing? And then you can assess from there growing up, you know, uh, born in 81. So a child of the eighties, uh, knowing is half the battle GI Joe, right? So (laughs) you have to, you have to know what you guys are up against and really, um, assessing those, seeing those needs. And then what are you equipped with to pivot quicker? Because sometimes again, as we're looking at this and someone might be saying, like, I, I just had a pastoral thing and it, someone I talked to him, he said, well, I can maybe help you in these three ways. And I said, well, I could use help in all three of those. <laughs> they might be saying like, I could use help in, in all these ways. Uh, pick a point, 
know where you're at as you're praying and petitioning to God as well. But what are some of the easy, what are, you know, we use the term low lying fruit, right? What are some of the ones that you can establish a win? If we were talking uh, Dave Ramsey and the snowball effect, what are the low debts that we can pay and then start to roll that momentum into something, right? right? So right. that imagery, if you're looking for that, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about is just a tangible way. Pastor Allen has made this really, you know, tangible for us to say like, this is really simple in the sense of don't overcomplicate it, love people and share God. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. outside of that, like it's not really, but you know, but anyhow that I just wanted to share those. Cause again, I fall in line with you guys. I have some of those resources, obviously. Yeah. Well, and you, you're basically pointing out, uh, I think it's seven common denominators that they found in, in these 13 churches that had this turnaround rapid growth. And one of the seven common denominators, well, I guess let me back up and say the first one is probably most important. Uh, a church that is plateaued or declining and needs revitalization, first of all, has to be very honest with themselves. And a lot of folks aren't willing to do that. They have mm -hmm. to be willing to just call it, call it what it is. <laughs> we're, we're struggling here. We need some help. And sadly, um, from what I read, a lot of pastors, a lot of churches struggle to do that because that, that does kind of, you know, because if it's the same leadership, you're looking at yourself and saying over the last 5, 10, 15 years, we're not getting her done, right? And so there is a, a, a huge amount of humility that has to go into that revitalization process to say, okay, if I would have known what needed to be done, I would have already done it. So I need to go outside and find out some resources. So you know, kind of like what you're talking about, TJ. Then what the book says, another one of the common denominators are to this revitalization and growth amongst these 13 churches was they, they were able to find the point between three factors, the passion of the leadership, the skills and experiences of the church members, and the community need. When they found those three things where they, those three things met, they found that that was the greatest place of ministry for that church. And so taking time to look through that and say, okay, what is the passions of our leadership? Okay, great. What is the skills of our current congregation? And what's the greatest community need out there? They said that was the process that all 13 of those churches went through. And when they found out what that was, they really started focusing in on serving their community in that way. And like I said, was one of the seven key factors they found to the revitalization. Yeah, no, it's very good, which, which again, I think kind of plays into you just kind of one of the questions we had here that, again, we've kind of been talking around it, but so I say, let's just go straight at it right now, right, of, of say, like, so what role does vision, mission, and core values play in the revitalization process, right? And, and again, and I think, you know, a part of that vision or the mission is defining, like, again, answering those questions, right, about like, man, why did God put our church in this community? Like, like what, what is it that God needs us to do right now? Right. And I, I mean, obviously we say, yes, yeah, spread the gospel. Like, well, that's every church's mission, right? right? Like, I, I mean, ultimately that is, but, but I think what, what you're talking about is going, just go another level beneath that, right. Of, of, you know, every church is a great commission church, right. Otherwise it's not, it's yeah. not a Bible center church. Right. Okay. Right. So, so again, like, so what's the next level of that? And, and, and even as you look at, at Reedsport or even at Cloverdale, we're at right now, right? Like of what, what role, uh, like how important of a role does that play? And, um, you know, and again, and, and I mean, how do you practically go about that? 
Well, sadly, I've been um, a part of ministry long enough now that I have watched the cycle of this change. When I first got into ministry, it was all, all the church growth stuff was talking about vision statement, vision statement, vision statement, get a purpose statement, all this stuff. And we went through, and I, and I think it was helpful and valuable. Now, everything I read is that really has very little bearing on your church growth that you actually need to what I would come back to, which is what I've already talked about that I think is most impactful is how answer the question, how, like you said, Brian, this is, <laughs> Jesus set this up for us. We're not, you know, we don't have to figure out what the church is supposed to be about doing. Jesus told us. So we just have to then answer the question, how, how are we going to, you know, wash feet in Reedsport, Oregon, or Boise, Idaho, or Seattle, Washington? How, how are we going to um, fulfill the Great Commission in our context, in our community. To me, I think if you can begin to answer the how question, um, I'm, I'm kind of leaning in agreement with some of the more recent literature on that little catchy vision statement is probably not as important as your leadership in your church understand the, the ethos of, of who you are and how you are uniquely designed in your community at this moment in time to serve Jesus' purposes in, in your community. I think if, if you will hone in on that, and again, goes back, I think, Brian, it's simple. It is really simple things that we, we, make, we make more difficult than it has to be. Um, if, if you find out that your community has a high percentage of addiction, then Man, how can you, whether it's even just, like I said before, a room in your church, as simple as that. Maybe you're not providing leadership for it. Maybe you are. You know, what, what is it in your toolbox um, that you have available to meet those needs? And, and how does that connect with the Great Commission? I think if we go through that process with our leadership, that then should, you know, spill out through our sermons you know, through our class 101, uh, I think that's a huge, um, I have found one of the best things that I think I've done over the years is teach that class. I mean, to be able to sit with a small group of people and talk about this is who our church is, and this is why we exist, and this is what we're about. I don't know if there's anything more valuable than bringing a group of people together than to let them know right off the top, here's what we do. And I just watched people over and over come from a variety of different denominational backgrounds come in and go, wow, this is refreshing. This is great. Now I know. <laughs> when I think in a lot of churches, we just assume they're going to pick that stuff up somewhere along the way. And so yeah. when we teach a class like that, oh, unbelievably valuable. Well, well, and, and again, I think to say that, like, the problem is not the vision statement, right? Like, like that's not the right. The problem is when that vision statement, all it is, is a phrase on the wall or on your letterhead. If that's right. all it is, then it's, it's worthless, right? Right. Because, and, and I think that's exactly what you're saying. Like, it does that encompass who you are, right? Like, like, hey, this is what our church does. Right. And, and, and again, which goes back to that pr practical part of it. Right. Like, OK, yes, again, we are. Yes, we're we're making disciples. OK, but how do we make like are we really making disciples or do we just yes. say that? Yes. 
exactly. Yeah. And I've got, no, don't get me wrong. I've written mission statements. I've written vision <laughs> yeah. statements, you know, um, the, the vision statement of Cloverdale Church. When I got back here a year ago, I saw it plastered uh, above the doors leading into the, the sanctuary, you know, growing God's family one disciple at a time. Yeah. Okay. If that's going to be your vision statement, then like what you're saying, Brian, so, so let's sit down and, okay, how are we going to do that? How are we going to make that happen? If we feel that that is a core of who we are, then how does that practically play out in the life of our church on a week-to-week, day-to-day basis? Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, and literally, I was the one that put that up there, by the way. Oh, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. I wondered where that came from. <laughs> I, I loved it. I, I've already, the kind of my first series of messages that I did in January was, was pretty much based on that vision statement. I, I, I saw yeah. that. I was like, you know, that describes the Great Commission in a nice, easy way to say it you know, and so I've just ran with it. And but yeah. again, like you say, it has no value. If we do not help our people, our church members know what are the steps? What does that look like? You know, if we just say it and read it all the time, it's, it's, it's not helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I, so as you, you know, we taught this one of the things that I've, as I've talked with different churches pastors leadership of churches that have made that successful revitalization turn right mm-hmm. and you know to where we see that um it, it just there's typically there's usually kind of a, a, a key moment or a marker or a certain time or event or attitude shift right that just just where you realize that the tide has turned right and and just kind of where god's spirit starts to move again it was there what was there a time like that in reed's Port? i mean where you can go back and be like yep that was it like <laughs> I don't know. I I can think, I suppose, of several, um, but they're all pretty simple stuff. Um, but yet at the same time, I think they're they're powerful. Um, I guess <laughs> my the first one, I guess, like I said before on the last episode, that I had that attitude that you read in the in the church growth books. Don't change anything for a year, just earn some capital serve people, listen, observe. Um, but it was, it was long before a year, I was sensing that people were, were just ready to go. They just needed somebody to say, yeah, let's do it. And this is going to sound really silly, but <laughs> it was my first, I was going to just test the waters and in a real simple way. And the linoleum in the church kitchen was peeling up. And so I said to one of the main church leaders, I said, do you think we could maybe change the linoleum in the kitchen? And she was like, yes, yes, we've got it. We need, we've been waiting to, we've got to do that. And it was, it was interesting. It sounds silly, but it was a moment that I kind of felt like, okay, we're on the same page here. We're going to be able to do this together. And then the second, probably more important one was, um, there was a couple in the church and they still are uh her father started the church he started the church of reedsport church of god in his living room as a small group bible study um, in the late 40s and early 50s like a lot of churches do and it began to grow they rented a 
uh, space in town, a union hall, I guess it was years ago. They started meeting in there. And then eventually in around 1958, they built um, the building that the church still is in today. Well, his daughter and son-in-law still go to that church. I've seen pictures of them as young people building that church. Well, there was a period of our growth because Reefport Church of God is in a neighborhood. We're not in a commercial district. Or it's, it's literally on the corner of a neighborhood. And so the thought of expanding the church meant literally having to buy houses. And there for a while, we thought that's going to be too expensive. We can't buy individual lots. So we were going to have to, we were, our thought was we were going to have to move the church somewhere else to, to grow. And um, so I thought, well, here we go. We got to go to the, the first people. And so I went to this, this couple and I said, uh, hey, I said, you know, our church is growing. And, you know, some of the church council is talking about what are we going to do for the future? And we're talking about since we're, you know, kind of in this neighborhood and we really can't grow much. We're talking about the possibility of of maybe moving the church and having it be somewhere else, you know? And I thought that I just wanted to see what their response was up front. And their immediate response was whatever we've got to do to reach more people for Jesus. And so I think that was another one of my moments that I was like, okay, this thing's gonna go. These folks have the right attitude. It's not about a building. It's about Jesus. It's about helping other people come to know Jesus. And so I, I think it was it was those moments that I realized, okay, momentum is going to continue. We're going to be fine. Yeah, we just have to persevere and stick in there and just serve people. So I don't know how well that answered the question, Brian. But yeah, <laughs> that was that was kind of my experience. Yeah, no, I I mean I think it does because I again as like I said as I've talked with different pastors and it was true for me even at Oregon Trail like you said it, it was it was those moments where you realize that people are getting it mm-hmm. right yeah. like you know again the people are are they are being inspired by God's spirit and they're realizing that hey God can use our church and God is going to take us to a new place and and again and, and again I think for everybody. Like again, and, and I, I mean, I talked about it that moment for us, Oregon trail, I think it was in our first season, actually today, if we remember, uh, you know, talked about that, but for us, it was a trunk or treat event, right. Which again, was just this really simple thing. And, and it had honestly had nothing to do with the trunk or treat event, but it was the moment when I think our people realized that, right. that the, that the community would actually respond to something that we're doing. Right. And like, oh, like, like they will come, like they, they will, you know, we can serve this community and they will accept you know, what we have to offer. And, and, yeah. and like I said, and that was, that was a huge momentum shift, right. For Oregon trail. And, and again, it was, it had nothing to do with the actual event, but it was the attitude. Right. And the, you know, the, the perspective of, of the congregation dramatically changed on that day. Yeah. 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 No, but, but we have to lead that. We, we, as the pastors of the church, we have to decide what those core values are going to be. And then we have to lead by example. And at least, in, and I know my experience is very limited. I've been blessed. I've only served two churches. <laughs> I've been in ministry now 25 years, and I've only served two churches, come full circle. And, um, but that's, that's what I've seen. If, if, you, if you model the simple, basic biblical principles of servanthood, people will follow. People will follow. But if you're not doing that, 
then you're going to probably struggle to gain traction. Um, and not that churches haven't grown outside of that model. Um, but to me, as I read, you know, scripture and Jesus example, um, it's just kind of a given, I guess, to me that that's the way we would do it. And then let the Holy Spirit take care of the rest. We, we be the servants and let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Well, that's yeah, a freeing, freeing moment too, right? Because if you're not on the hook for having to have those heart changes take place, you know that that's the Holy Spirit working within them. Right. You're just the conduit. And right. you don't have to get twisted up about it on that level, even as leaders or, you know, even if you're a, a board member or something, you're not like, well, we have to manufacture this to make it work. And it, if it, it rises and falls on us, you know, there's that phrase where we've thrown out a couple, but it's like, you know, work like it depends on you, pray like it depends on God, because ultimately <laughs> leave it at the foot of the cross with him and say, Lord, if you're going to bless this, this is where we hear you guiding us and directing us. But it's a freeing moment when you know that in those moments, we can't change people, only God can. And even if we did in a place like where I'm at in Seattle, man, even if I had this gift of persuasion, uh, it just falls subject to somebody else on the next block telling them something else otherwise and convincing them another way. So we want those to be full transformational moments and that God is doing that. So that's the part that doesn't return void. I don't care how great or semi part that we think, <laughs> you know, we don't yeah. have to overcomplicate that as well. No, that, that's, that, that is so huge. And I think hopefully we've all probably come to that point a little bit differently in our ministries, but we have to, we, we have to realize that, yes, I've been called to be a servant. And servant is going, being a servant requires sacrifice. Um, and that, again, depending on your context, sacrifice can look different um, for different churches, different pastors. Um, but at the end of the day, you're so right, TJ. It's we, we can't change a heart. Um, only the Holy Spirit can do that. And that is a free moment. Um, I heard a pastor years ago say the way that he did it was every morning as he drove the church that Sunday morning, he resigned as the leader of the church every week and just told God, I can't do this you're going to have to do this. You know, I'm going to get up there today and, and I'm going to try to be as open as I can and do the best I can for you. But I resign as general manager of this church. <laughs> you're in charge. And that's, boy, if, if that's not there, um, again, I think there are bells and whistles in which uh, some people and churches can use to draw a crowd. But as scripture says, there's going to be a day where it's going to be shown for what it is. And is it going to be solid or is it going to be burned up? And I don't want to be a part of anything that's going to get burned up. I just, no, 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 no. And so we know that it has to be the Holy Spirit. Uh, that, Like you said, uh, he's the only one that can truly, you know, we can probably coerce and urge, you know, people to make changes for a time, you know, but it's not going to hold if it's not the Holy Spirit. We, we see that in the parable of the sower, right? We see those soils and when it really takes root, right? So if people are yeah. looking for an analogy, we, we could see there. We don't want to fall, sprout up quick and get choked out. All those different things. Yeah. We just want yeah. that. I don't think as you've held the roles we've had too, you don't look for anything to be a Band-Aid moment. We're looking for eternity. And yeah. so like this whole yeah. discipleship word is like, let's do it and then let's get to the next piece we don't want to have to go back and help but it's also that free moment of 
man, you get momentum because now you have someone, I mean, you can put a churchy word on it of assimilation or whatever you need to slap on it. But (laughs) like, if you put it in there and you put them in play, that's also a free moment that, like you said, as you're reaching your community, you have an ambassador, you have someone with you. Uh, we even, you know, just to, to help do that. We see Jesus as he equipped us and he's leaving. He's saying he's bringing a helper, a like mm-hmm. person like him to dwell within us to do that. And so um, no, I really appreciate you, uh, Pastor Allen, giving of your time and, and helping, uh, you know, just have conversation with Brian. And I, I pray that this is a blessing for uh, so many people you know we don't know how it, it hits them like you said there's there's different trajectories different parts in this faith walk it is a journey but where are we at in that and how can we be an encouragement to one another i, I know that you're not a part of it but one thing that i would maybe want to be knowing as a uh, cliffhanger part is there anything that you can report i know you've been now at cloverdale for almost a year is there anything that you can report uh, back from Reedsport, like where they're at in this new season as we oh, kind yeah. of take them along on the journey for this? Yeah. Where's Reedsport now? Or, or how can we, if they're in a spot where we could be praying for them or there's our listeners, like you said, how can we be praying for Reedsport now as, as you've left there? Well, that, that's, that is so cool that you asked that because um, I was so impressed. Uh, Pastor Tom, when, when we were in discussions and, and then it seemed like this was the right thing to do uh, to bring me back um, as he moves towards retirement. One of his very first things that he said to me was, but we've got to figure out how to help Reedsport. We have to figure out how to help Reedsport. Um, it's too good of a church. Uh, and so I just, I so appreciated that heart. And so I think just simply because of that desire and motivation um, the Lord took care of it. Uh, it was unbelievable. The day we found, we didn't realize the moment, but the day that I was telling my associate pastor um, that I would that I was going to be leaving and and coming back over here, um, we kind of had it. I wanted to work it out so that nobody had to hold that information long, you know. So we had it worked out. I told her one day I was going to tell the board the next day, and then we were going to be telling the church that Sunday. Um, unbeknownst to me. Um, a national church of God leader called Tom and said, Hey, I know you've been, you know, um, looking for, you know, somebody um, to, to take on your role as you retire. Um, Have you found anybody? And he said, well, that's funny. We just solved that about three days ago. And, but he, but he said to this national leader, but, but what can we do for Reedsport? We've got to do something. That's a good church. We can't just and um, learned about a ministry. It's not a specific Church of God ministry, um, but it's a ministry called NCS. Um, They are down in Phoenix, Arizona, I believe. And one of their ministries is they provide transitional interim pastors for churches that are in that need. And so I quickly found out more about them, shared with our church council. And so the church there in Reedsport actually went with that process. So we first hired an interim pastor and so literally the day uh, that I was, uh, my last day was March 15th um, of, what would that be, 2021, um, he was there. The interim pastor was there. Uh, literally, we just, I walked out the door and he walked in. And so for the past year, they've had an interim pastor to help uh, lead them through this process, to help them with the day-to-day ministry of the church, um, and also the ministry at large then helps with the you know, preparing and recruiting and interviewing 
uh, a prospective pastor. So I'm thrilled to announce that just about two weeks ago, the church voted on their next senior pastor. And so he will be coming, um, his first Sunday will be April 10th. And so he's a, he's a young man similar to the age I was um, when, when I moved to Reedsport. Um, and so I am just very excited um, that thankfully it only took about a year, which I think in many cases, if you can, if you can make that transition in less than a year, you're really fortunate. Yeah. Um, it usually takes at least a year. If it, if it lingers longer than that, though, that starts getting hard in the congregation. And so yeah. I've been praying hard that it would not take, you know, much longer than a year for them to be in that interim phase. But even in that interim phase, they had um, a pastor that was, you know, there for that very purpose. Yeah. And so I, I think it was a great way to, I'd been there for 16 and a half years. And so there needed to be some time of break for me. And yeah. so that interim pastor provided that. So I'm very hopeful that as this new young man comes in, there's been this break from me and he can just pick up right, um, you know, in a sense where we left off and just see that church, you know, uh, grow to the next season in their ministry. So yeah, uh, only time will tell. Um, but to answer your question, I'm very excited about where they're at um, because they're a great church um, with a great foundation of folks that just want to keep the main thing, the main thing. Um, and that looks like that's what they're doing. Well, boy, so this brand new pastor, right? His second Sunday there is Easter. Like that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's well, they'll get to see him. All those that are casual visitors, they'll get a chance to see him up front and personal right away. Yeah. No, I don't I, think that's a bad thing. No. Yeah. 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 No, no. I was actually going to say, I really think that is actually a great idea. Yeah. So that, yeah. that is uh, the, no, I, but, I think that's phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, yeah. But well, Alan, thank you so much again for your time for joining us, oh, even man. for two whole episodes today. I, I I hope it's been rich for our listeners. I think I I've, I've enjoyed our conversation, uh, you know, helping even just hearing gleaning from your wisdom and and experience. And and again, I know, uh, you know, looking at things we can certainly apply to Oregon Trail at Fairview, probably even you know, and talking through it, even as you're in in a whole new context at Cloverdale again, and with the, in, in a new season there. So, um, but well, no, it's just been great to to be around together. Uh, it's been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it very much, TJ, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. Acts 20, 28. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. The Acts 2028 podcast is a broadcast production of In His Grip Publishing. Our theme music is Achievement by Giovanni Bruno. We'd love to hear from you on our social media accounts or through email. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Acts2028Podcast. Or send us an email at Acts2028Podcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us ratings and reviews. And even give us your email so you can be notified of new episodes. Thank you for listening. And until next time, we hope that you will lead wherever God has put you. And together we can all live out Acts 2028 as we serve in the established church.